You're listening to Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Follow Hockey to Heroin on Twitter. That's at Hockey, the number two heroin for updates and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Brady Leavitt, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leopold as he began to turn heads in the junior leagues. Only pass for Long, he's got Leopold with him. Long walks in, centers, goal! Leopold's a right-hand shot, rotates, and then sends it along back to Leopold. And here we go, right off the bat, a fight ensues, and it's Leopold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leopold throwing right after right, and just connecting like crazy. Once I met heroin, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion. What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And once addicted, Many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills. And now, O Canada with Richard Loney here at the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver. to heroin the road to recovery guys episode number 30 happy canada day to everybody out there listening in canada guys that was my favorite richard loney who i got to listen to sing oh canada at all the canucks games i got to go to so thanks to my dad brian uh for all the great memories uh obviously in person but we uh watched a lot of games and richard loney was uh, always the Canucks' go-to guy my childhood growing up. And uh, special moment, guys. I got to uh, play multiple times in the Pacific Coliseum against the Vancouver Giants back when they played there, which was cool because that's where the Canucks played before. They were at Rogers Arena. 
Um, so, you know, I remember the first time, because it happened multiple times, I remember uh, Richard Loney came out to sing O Canada, and I'm standing on the blue line as a starting lineup, and I almost had tears in my eyes. It was pretty cool. Almost crying just thinking about it. That's how emotional I am, guys. No shit. But happy Canada Day to everybody. Uh, hopefully everybody's going to have a safe Canada Day because I know all of our Canadians up here like to party. Not so much me anymore, but I know people do. But let's stay safe, guys. Um, but yeah, what a cool experience that was. Thank you to Richard Loney for all the great memories. Uh, guys, if you're listening, uh, you're listening hopefully on the Hockey Podcast Network. Home of multiple, multiple podcasts, including one of my favorites, Tales with TR, a hockey podcast featuring former first-rounder Terry Ryan, who's going to be joining me very shortly. He's just been busy doing his thing out in beautiful Newfoundland or PEI or wherever the hell he is, way out east. I don't even know where the hell he is. Uh, He's at the Atlantic Ocean, though. I know that much. I'm just kidding there, Tales. Uh... But uh, honestly, uh, guys, the Hockey Podcast Network, wow. They have uh, multiple, multiple podcasts, somewhere in the range of 40. Uh, I made a post the other day on social media. I said, hey, if you guys want to stay up to date with the NHL, Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, probably not for you. But don't worry, we got you covered because there's a podcast for every single team every single market we have you covered check it out hockeypodcastnetwork.com or anywhere on social media at hockeypodnet um guys right now i'm wedged in between a bunch of old furniture kittens uh some of my stuff that's going to go in the studio uh the matthew lachinsky memorial studio of course because it's not ready but guess what it's like halfway done and i talked to matt thompson multiple times a day guys if you're following along this guy's like one of my new best friends. He shared the story of Matthew Lashinsky with me, and it hit home, guys. He lost his battle in 2017 to an overdose, and geez, guys, I say it all the time. I don't know why it was him and not me, and from there I've learned multiple people, multiple, and it's terribly sad. Um, but if we can take a positive from it, uh, I've been able to connect with Matthew's family, which has been great. And uh, Matt Thompson's coming back up in a couple weeks' time to finish the studio. Uh, we're going to get out. We're going to do some bass fishing because I've been that's all I've been doing lately. Uh, we're going to get on the ATVs. And guess what? The Lashinsky family is going to come up to, and do I have a surprise for them? So, uh, also, the local... Uh, Muskoka newspaper is going to be here doing the story. So I'm getting teary eyed just thinking about it. I, I just, it's such an honor. Uh, so yeah, I'm wedged in a spare bedroom right now, but shortly, guys, I will be recording in the Matthew Lashinsky Memorial Studio, and I cannot wait. So thank you to everybody for the support. Uh, quickly, guys, I want to give a shout out to one of my new good friends, Darren McCarty unbelievable uh since i've had him on the podcast this guy's been just an incredible incredible friend to me uh yesterday he had me on grind time with darren mccarty uh it was live uh live stream it was lots of fun uh we got to he un uh he revealed his uh pre-rolled uh joints which he smoked virtually with me for the first time 
Um, so that's how he, uh, you know, presented it to the world. So that was awesome. Uh, you know, I thought that was a really cool experience because this is not about, um, you know, smoking pot. This is about medicine. Uh, this is medicine for a lot of people, myself included. Uh, there's different ways of doing it. There's lots of information, guys. And as I get more information about it, I'm going to share it with you because I'm also going to have Riley Cote on the podcast, who is Darren McCarty's guru, as he says. Uh, so thanks to DMAC. Like, he, ma- he made a call to uh, one of our guys in treatment to talk him through the first day in treatment. Like, unbelievable guy. Uh, so shout out to DMAC. Thank you, buddy. Uh, love you. Love you a lot. Um, and uh, that brings me into, you know, I talked about Matthew Lashinsky and I talked about Mitch Fadden. Uh, I've talked about the Puck Support. The Puck Support Foundation is in motion, guys. And I'm going to play with you guys in case you haven't heard it. Here is the mission statement with voiceover work from a new friend of mine, voice uh, Steve Buckley from Five Hooligans Media. He's also put together multiple videos for my podcast as well as the Puck Sport Foundation. So shout out to Steve Buckley down in Beaverton, Oregon. Thank you to him and also to the senior writer at the Hockey News, Ken Campbell, for revising my written version of this. And he revised it, revamped it, sent it back, and here it is, guys. So enjoy. If you haven't heard it, we're going to help a lot of people. Even though every child who plays hockey dreams of one day making the NHL, winning a Stanley Cup and making millions of dollars, the fact is that very few of them do. Some end up with serious mental health and addiction issues, often long after the cheering stops and their safety net has vanished. The Buck Support Foundation is a nonprofit charity that is committed to providing relief for any player or coach, active or retired, who is struggling with these issues. We try to do that by providing a safe platform for hockey players to receive the help they need, confidentially and without fear of judgment. We intend to do that by working with mental health and addiction professionals to find and provide our brothers and sisters with the best prevention and treatment methods and by providing a toll-free line that can be used by anyone, anytime, anywhere. Let's get ready to talk about it. Wow, hey guys, isn't that amazing? Uh, Once again. Thank you. Thank you to Steve Buckley and Ken Campbell and everybody who's on board. Our list of ambassadors continues to grow right from NHL, uh, past NHLers, coaches, general managers. We have healthcare professionals on board, uh, among others, guys. Um, And I cannot wait to show the world what we are going to do as a team and we're just going to keep building it is such a beautiful beautiful thing and listen i don't want any credit for it guys i just want to help people i just want to be a soldier i just tell me where people need help and let me help them but that i want to get into something uh, in a second um but I, there's going to be an announcement guys i'm actually making my way to alberta I'm going to get my get myself on a plane. I got myself some photo ID for the first time in six years. That may not sound like a big deal, but to me, the only other photo ID guy ID I had, guys, was my jail identification. That is a true story. So here we go, one foot in front of the other. 
one day at a time. And uh, guys, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun um, putting this whole thing together. Um, but we're uh, all getting to Alberta for a press conference, and I'll leave it at that. Um, really excited guys really really excited so that's gonna happen on July the 9th so stay tuned for that uh, but that brings me to what I did yesterday and I made the phone call uh, to get myself a mental health assessment um, and I'll tell you there's a couple of reasons and we'll talk about it during the podcast once I get to my uh, guest who I'm just so excited to get to. I, I say it all the time. I'm always like, oh, I'm really excited to talk to this. But like uh, this conversation we're about to have and like it's not queued up. We haven't really the only conversation we had beforehand, guys, was this. We have nothing to hold back. Let's just go. And that's it. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, so Friday I have uh, a longer appointment that they're going to, you know, do my actual uh, intake they call it and then from there hopefully I can get into some counseling or whatever they see fit if I have to get on medication guess what I'm gonna go for it because I know that yes today I'm clean off the hard drugs but you know what I'm a I'm a basket case I I know I make Facebook live videos Instagram videos I do this podcast and I'm you know I do try to stay positive and even when I'm not on camera I try to stay positive but guess what uh, the way that I'm treating my girlfriend sometimes is not is not fair and I just I don't even know why and it's like I snap out of it and it's like I gotta apologize and it's like so I know my mental health has a long ways to go so I want to share that and be transparent with everybody so if you're feeling sort of the same way or whatever or unsure guess what it's okay to get help uh, how's your health mental health how's your physical health do a mind check that's Kevin Bxa I know they have their mind the mental health bell let's talk I love it mind check Get your mind checked, guys. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Uh, other than that, guys, um, you know, you know this episode is proudly brought to you by Team Issued Limited. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger, a community for all, striving towards the same goal. Check it out, guys. Teamissue.ca. Use promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchase. Uh, guys, that is a former teammate of mine. WHL alumni Jesse Paradise, that's his company. Guys, let's support him. Not only let's support him, check it out. Their clothing is sick. I'm like a team-issued walking billboard. And if you want to win some free team-issued gear, go to HockeyToHeroin.com every Sunday night. We do a live stream giveaway. We give away hats, socks. I'm um, waiting for some face masks. Um, some people are waiting for their prizes. Well, guess what? They're being mailed out today. So sit tight. I'm sorry, COVID-19. I can't do nothing about Canada Post or the U.S. Postal Service. Um, but listen, I'll do my part and I'll send it. Uh, it took longer than I'd hoped because I just took longer for me to get the team issued stuff. So um, guys, sit tight. Your gifts are on their way so let's get in to this episode this is episode 30 and this may take me a second guys here to do this intro uh, because the accolades and the life story 
of this guy are simply simply incredible and he's a new friend of mine and i'm proud to call him a friend honored to call him a friend and uh actually we're new friends and i actually wish i've spent more time talking to him picking his brain and i look forward to doing that uh long after this conversation is over so here we go guys episode 30 you guys want to hear about my guest let's do it this guy okay This guy was a tremendous hockey player as a youth. Uh, You know, 15 years old, ripping up the midget leagues, tearing it up uh, with the dream of one day playing professional hockey. Um, Unfortunately, uh, you know, an on-ice accident uh, caused him to break his leg in something like 14 different places, guys. Uh, From there, it uh, things spiraled. Uh, downhill and we'll get into that I don't want to try to tell his story I'll let him tell that story Um, but after a series of surgeries and procedures and years and years of uh, battling this injury and being told um, that he would likely possibly die uh, if he didn't amputate his leg um, he had to amputate his leg Uh, I know um, talking with a friend of mine Craig Cunningham how difficult that can be for some people. And I I know it was difficult for him and and I'm sure it still is, but guess what guys? He didn't sit in the dark. He did not sit in the dark. This guy got off his ass, okay? At 41 years old, he was the oldest, okay? The oldest sledge hockey player to play in the Paralympics, okay? He played in three Paralympics. He won a gold medal. He won a world championship for our very own team Canada now he's a motivational speaker guys he's doing incredible things how about this in in 2007 he made headlines across Canada when his gold medal was stolen during an autograph session with some piece of crap down in Toronto well guess what our good old boy Don Cherry who in my opinion should have never been fired don't even get me started if you want to hear me get fired up how soft is this world like fuck right off uh Don Cherry told this lowlife thief to drop off this gold medal in a mailbox during hockey night in Canada. And guess what? The medal turned up at a postal sorting station in Toronto. And my boy got his medal back, and we'll talk about that too. Uh, From there, he's not just a sledge hockey player, guys. Like I said, uh, he didn't just sit around and do nothing. He got involved, and he made a difference. Uh, He uh, got involved in sitting volleyball. Um, man, he went to Rio, uh, played for Canada there as well, and we'll talk about that. He's got just tons of medals and tons of stories, I'm sure. Uh, he's been a real inspiration. And outside of sports, guys, he retired uh, September 7th, 2010. Again, he didn't sit back. Uh, he got up off his ass again, and he started speaking. Uh, and for the first time, he came out. Uh, and shared and was brave uh, and told the world uh, that he was illiterate and what that is like uh, to live as somebody who is illiterate and struggles. And I've also had a friend of both of ours, friend Sopal, on the podcast who uh, we could talk about that as well. Uh, but to wrap up this intro, guys, uh, Paul Rosen spent nine seasons with the Canadian National Ice Hockey Sledge Team and by the end of his career, He had accumulated a win-loss record of 55 wins, 15 losses, and one tie. 
He also registered a 1.04 goals against average, 25 shutouts in only 72 games. So without further ado, from Thornhill, Ontario, my man, Paul Rosen. Hey, Brady. Thanks for uh, having me on, man. It's a huge honor. Listen, Paul, uh, it's an honor for me and... Uh, I know you and I have talked uh, a few times uh, over the course of the the past uh, few months, and it's uh, been uh, really enjoyable. And I know that you and I both have our struggles, uh, even though uh, we're both, you know, doing well as far as maybe other things. There's still struggles with everyday life. But I want to get into uh, a little bit about your childhood, Paul, if you don't mind, and um, what it was like growing up and, and your dreams and, uh, you know, because you were a really good hockey player. And what was that like at 15 years old to have to go through that? Well, it's, uh, it's a long time ago. I, I just turned 60 a little while ago. So going back in the uh, in the 70s, um, you know, I uh, I had serious issues reading and writing. And uh, I was kind of, you know, it's funny we talked about Brent Soap, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into to soaps. It's the story of, you know, when you're you're in school and you're you're a teenager and you can't really read very well and you can't write and you're made fun of and uh, and and you your only dream is sport and and mine was hockey and I was uh, I was playing uh, in the Wrigley's tournament they had that back in the 70s I was a midget player of my uh, AAA year of um, this was my whole life was 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 actually getting drafted and. Uh, Unfortunately, the old uh, Dunlop Arena in Barrie, Ontario, I uh, was coming around the net, as you probably did a million times, caught a rut in the ice and spiral fractured my leg. And uh, back in 1975, that was it, brother. It, uh, the, the career was over before it really had a chance to get started. And, I mean, I've talked about it multiple times on my on my podcast about um, careers ending and to me it doesn't matter how it ends and obviously that to me is a traumatic traumatic ending and and a career that like you said didn't even get started but still up to that point Paul you had played hockey and you'd probably identified as a hockey player so when that's taken away from you what was that like because I know even after uh, years of playing major junior and pro uh, after I had lost that identity as a hockey player and, and maybe and it wasn't just me. I, I know other people viewed me as that too. It's like, you know, it's it was kind of almost like, well, what the hell am I now? I might as well just die almost. Was that, did do you have so, sort of those similar feelings or? Yeah, that, that's exactly what, where it started. Uh, you know, I, I remember that summer in 1975, uh, getting into 76, um, where I just didn't care about anything. And, and obviously with the, with the operation and the injury that I had, I was in a, cast for almost six months from my groin to my toes uh um that's where my uh my love let's say for uh for narcotics started um it was easy to get back when you had an injury like that and i uh, i quit school I, I i got a job and i i just i never really had a purpose uh brady i just i went on finished my teenage years and you know fell in love which i thought was love and got married and before i knew it i i i had like three kids by the time i was 26 years old yeah and so you you know from from 15 years old you you know had the leg injury but it wasn't until later that you had to make the decision to amputate your legs so 
Walk us through, you know, the time from 15, like you said, to 26, you had three kids. And I know what that's like, too, because I had three kids by the time I was, fuck, 22. <laughs> well, just after my 22nd birthday, I had three kids. And um, so I know how much it can it change a life. And for me, honestly, Paul, I lost, I've lost contact with my kids, the one I've never met. And um like myself, I've talked openly about it, my substance abuse, but where did it start for you, the substance abuse, and why do you think it started? Like, do you know why? Well, it, it, it started from, you know, and I'm, I'm really learning now, you know, uh, yesterday was 17 months clean and sober for the first time in 35 years, and, you know, I, I listened to all of your uh, your podcast and I listen to your Facebook live stuff and I, I just I love it I'm so proud of you and six months is unreal and I think about 17 months and uh, I, I look back at where it all started at 15 16 with with the uh, with the narcotics with the Percocets with the Oxys with the and just you know I I, I never really grew up you know uh, I tell people this now when I when I do talks and yeah I, I had kids and and I and I had a job, but I I really never understood what it was like to be a father. I, I wasn't a very good father. Um, we'll get into that, I'm sure. Um, I, I just I, I just went on. Every day was another day, and uh, and I, I never really cared about anything other than being numb. Um, and I was numb almost my entire life, brother, until 17 months ago. Wow, eh? And I, first off, I want to say thank you. Uh, yes, for me, six months is nothing short of a miracle. Six minutes used to be uh, a miracle for me. I'm not even exaggerating. Uh, but to you, congr 17 months, incredible. Congratulations. So you must be feeling great. And so what? Uh, what's different? Oh, wow. Um, there's a ton different, you know, from, uh, you know, my, mine was, really where I, I knew I had to change was my suicide attempt. And I don't know if you want to get into that now or, sure. or when, but yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's when it really, it, it like I, I had so many issues in my life and, uh, and, and, and playing and we'll, we'll tell a story of, of playing for Canada. I'm, I'm sure. And, uh, but, um, but I just, I was just on a roller coaster of life. I didn't really care about anything, man. I, I, you know, every fucking day to me was just another day. And, uh, on, on January 30th, 2019, I did an event. It was the most ironic thing, brother. It was Bell Let's Talk Day. Um, and I did an event that morning and uh, it's about 500 people and guys are, telling me how amazing I am and it's like you know I got a standing ovation and you're the best Rosie oh my god you're the best and then uh, I get in my car and I drove home I had a small bachelor apartment in Queens Key and uh and I did my same routine brother I got into my apartment a tiny little place I closed the blinds I turned Sportsnet on and I pulled the covers up over my head and I just started drinking and taking my uh my pills and uh and I guess it was about 10 o'clock at night when I um, when I just couldn't take it anymore. And uh, I wrote three notes for my kids. Um, I uh, I had I had my hip replaced about 
three months before. So I had some uh, doctors prescribe narcotics. Uh, you know, it, it got to a point where I was getting things all over the place. And, and you know, when you're getting them on the street, you're not getting what you think you're getting. Um, so I, uh, I had 35 oxys left, um, and I, uh, I took them all. I took, uh, I took all of them. Uh, dropped it down with uh, with some Jack Daniels, and um, about 45 minutes later, yet I'm 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 not dead. Um, and I was I was just, and I, I tell this all the time. And uh, you know, when I when I heard you with uh, Theo Fleury, and which was an incredible, incredible interview, brother. Um, when he talked about not wanting to die, but not wanting to live, that's really where I was. So 45 minutes later, yet I'm I'm not dead. Um, and uh, I'm searching around for what I could find. I found a bottle of Windex, and I downed the entire bottle of Windex. And that's what ended up saving my life because I threw up so violently when the paramedics got me and took me to St. Mike's. Uh, enough of uh, enough of the narcotics was out of me that they could save me. And uh, I ended up spending 17 days at the psychiatric ward in Toronto General. And that's where my life really started to change because I knew I needed to ask for help. And I never, ever asked for help my entire life. And uh, that's where it started. And it's been a journey these last 17 months. Um, and there's been some tough days. Like, I'm not perfect. I, I, I've thought about relapsing a ton of times, um, but I'm not going to. Well, I'm wow. That's a, for me. That's a lot to take in there. First off, buddy, like wow. See you. You know, you inspire me, and you know, hearing all of that, it's you know, I, I've done similar things and felt the exact same way. And you know, we don't have to be alone, and we don't have to feel that way. And it's, I like what you said there because people maybe miss it the part where you started with and it's the people rosie you're the best this but you're all and you go home and you're alone and all that shit doesn't matter you just you know you're not even taking all that in even though all those people would probably love to help and support you you're just not even taking it in because you just want to go home and shut off and just because you're not feeling worthy or whatever it is i know that's how i was yeah. feeling um guilty and everything so what where was the decision where were you at um when you decided to play sledge hockey you're 41 years old yeah so i i lost my leg at uh i'll tell you that that story uh i ended up going to israel in in um 1997 at 37 i got an opportunity to go overseas and help coach the israeli national team some people think israel and hockey doesn't make sense but the team was actually quite good because all the Russian guys that went from Russia to Israel became citizens. So, so I got a chance to uh, to get involved with a great game, and you know, this game of hockey has been amazing to to both of us, and you you love it. You know, sometimes you hate it, but you you still love it. Um, I got a chance to get involved, and and every time I did something, my leg hurt more and more and more, and uh, I kept coming back and having surgery after surgery, and. Uh, and in, uh, in the end of May in 1999, um, I knew I was in serious trouble. I, I, I had so many surgeries. I couldn't really exist. I was drinking liquid morphine like it was apple juice. Um, 
I should have died. Like you tell this so many times. I, I love when you say it. Like why me? Like I've dealt why me so many times. Like I should have died twenty five times. Why did I not? And and other people did. It it it, it weighed on me so much. And um, I ended up going to Israel. I call it the three craziest days of my life. On June the eighth, ninety nine, I went to Israel. Um, just to see some doctors because I was fed up. I, I had so many of my surgeries in the thirties and um, I didn't have a life. And the, uh, the doctor sat me down and he said, uh, basically the infection was going to kill me. I, I didn't have much left in me. Uh, and I was like 165 pounds. Uh, I was just drained. I looked like nothing. I, I hated my life. I hated myself. And June the 9th, the next day, they amputated my leg mid thigh and June the 10th, I was given a hundred percent clean bill of health. Um, I come back home on like the 14th, 15th, and I go to a place called Variety Village, which you know, when you get down to Toronto, I'm going to come up to Muskoka to, to visit the studio, but I want to get you down to Toronto once to uh, Variety Village. It's an incredible place, and I meet this young guy, Shane Smith. He's 12 years old. He's a triple amputee, and he tells me about sled hockey, and. Um, I loved it immediately because it was full contact, brother. And I'm I'm 40 years old now, and and I get to like hammer guys. And if you've seen the game, it's called para ice hockey now, but it's vicious. Like it is vicious. Um, and I uh, I tried out for the team and I made it. And uh, you know I had some goals. I got an incredible goalie coach, Jamie McGuire, and you know he shot on me. And you know I had guys like Kyle Quincy and uh, uh, you know guys who were in the NHL shooting on me. Um, and I became pretty good pretty fast, and, and my goal was to uh, to help the team win a gold medal. Salt Lake City was my first games, and we uh, we we fell apart. We ended up in fourth place, and you know then we went on to uh, Torino in 2006. And if you remember, the men ended up in seventh place, so it couldn't have been any better for us. Bob Nicholson was so excited about our team, and we. Um, we ended up shocking the world and beating the Norwegians in the gold medal game 3 nothing. It was the first shutout. I'm fortunate to get the shutout, but it was the first shutout in the history of Canadian hockey, men or women. Shannon Zabados got a shutout in 2010 and 14 for the women, and Carey Price got a shutout in 14. But my mask at 46 years old is in the Hockey Hall of Fame as the first shutout in the history of Canadian hockey. And for a, a one-legged 46-year-old drug addict, I was pretty excited about that, brother. No doubt. I didn't know that. How fucking cool is that, Rosie? Your your yeah. lid is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I've been talking to my girl Taylor about going down there because I haven't been there since I was a kid. I remember I they, I did that shooting thing there when I was a kid, and I remember lighting it up when I was a kid. But yeah. man, how cool is that? Like that's so awesome. Like you, that's got to like even just remembering that that's got to make you feel pretty good because for one you accomplished so much and you you overcame so much but number like all of that's great but now if you can remember rosie that you've done all that and the work you put in and the level of focus and everything and if you could just hold on to that and try to like you know bring that into your everyday life i think you know that is ultimately how people find success is it not like yeah 100%. One of the cool things, so when we won, they did this whole exhibit and for like the next four or five years, because they switched things out of the Hall of Fame all the time. So the next four or five years, there was exhibit with the mask and with us winning. And we 
Team Canada hasn't won since. We didn't win in Vancouver. And then when I retired in Vancouver, I went into the broadcast booth and I've done the games in, in Sochi in 14 and Korea in, in 18 for, uh, for CBC and, uh, and the IPC. And the Americans have dominated the game now. But about two years ago, one of the coolest things happened. They revamped uh, uh, an exhibit and they call it the 36 top masks in the world. And some guy calls me and he goes, Rosie, your, your mask isn't in the exhibit anymore. Like your, your win 2006. But he goes, the coolest thing is you're in the top 36. Your mask is one of the top 36 masks in the history of the game. And my mask below me was Grant Pure's mask. And the mask above me is Vladislav Trecia. Come on. Yeah. I just went to visit it like right before COVID, like in, I think it was December when I went down to see it. Wow. I I was blown away, man. I was blown away to have Grant Pure's mask right under mine. Wow. That is fucking cool, man. I just had Adam Scorgi on. He did the uh, he did the Grant Fears uh, documentary, uh, making Coco, and um, yeah. yeah, like Grant Fear, he's you know the first uh, colored hockey hall of famer, and I mean Gretzky calls him the greatest goalie of all time, and and then Trechiak, I mean shit, he just never got a chance to play in the NHL, but I mean holy Christ, like that to me, wow, that is, I can't, is it still there or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the exhibit is uh, it's still up. Everything's there. They're not moving it around. I uh, pretty proud of it. Um, I guess so. Pretty cool. I guess so. That is so. That is so cool. Well, you are also. Um, you know, you've had so many great things. Like you said, a gold medal, and you also won a world championship, and you have a bronze, um, as well. But you also received the diamond jubilee medal. Uh, from the Prime Minister of Canada and Lieutenant Governor of Ontario. That must have been pretty cool. That was pretty cool because it was uh, 2013, and I got a call from, uh, you know, you get calls sometimes, you don't you don't believe what it is, and it was from the Prime Minister's office. Uh, that year there were 66,000 uh, uh, Jubilee, uh, Queen Elizabeth Jubilee awards given out. Prime Minister Harper handpicked 17 Canadians of the 66,000. And for some reason, mine was one of them. It uh, was one of the last things. My mom passed away a few years ago. It was one of the, the, the last things she was there in the front row at Queen's Park uh, when Lieutenant Governor David Onley and Prime Minister Harper gave it to me. And, you know, politics aside, whether you, you like the politician or you like the prime minister, it was one of the coolest things in the world. And one of the, the crazy things was, man, is that the, the 17 of us that got it from Prime Minister Harper, the other 16 were like, you know, uh, Luongo from uh, Longo's uh, Meats. He was a billionaire. And uh, um, Robert Hershevik from Shark Tank. These other 16 were all multi-billionaires. And then there's me. I got like 25 cents in my pocket. You know, I'm like looped out on drugs all the time. I, I don't know what's going on. And I felt like Waldo in the books. Where's Waldo? And I'll never forget it, brother. I, I, I went to the prime minister because we had dinner with him as a team when we won in 2006. He loved talking, Prime Minister Harper. And um, and the one thing I'll remember is a lot of things that I'm ashamed of and I, I, I'm not proud of that I did over, over the years uh, in my addiction. But uh, I said to him, why am I getting this? Like, look at these other 16. He just said to me, man, just straight out, you're a Canadian hero for what you do off the ice. And it, it 
it really hit me really hard immediately. But then I went back to my old life and, you know, I've, I've done as, as when you get trapped into this drug world, um, you know, there's things that, uh, there's things that happen that I want people to know, uh, that you're not alone, that, you know, I always thought my mom was dying of cancer and I remember stealing her morphine, man. And my mom and my sister, uh, they, they confronted me and I was like, what are you talking about? How do you, how can you, how can you even ask me if I stole? And, and I did it, man. And, and, and the thing that killed me is that, you know, there's so many people out there that think that they're the only ones, but, this happens when you're when you're living that life of, of of one drug to the next. You just you have no clue, and and it, it, it's trying to tell people. And I love your message too. Is that you know we're not alone, man. We we're all doing the same thing on this journey and trying to get clean and stay clean. Yeah, that's the hardest part, right? It is is staying clean. And so I mean, there's a there's a lot there, but I, I'm kind of curious. Is so you know. You were doing a lot of great things on the ice and then doing a lot of things. You obviously you played sitting volleyball and you did fantastic there as well. Um, and then you're getting uh, the Diamond Jubilee Medal directly from the Prime Minister um, and the Lieutenant Governor. Uh, but you're strung out on drugs, you're saying. So, I mean, did people know? Did did the hockey team know did your peers know because i know that you were also going around sharing your story but i i'm imagining at that time your story was just more about losing your leg and being uh, a, a sledge hockey player you said now it's uh, what is it para hockey yeah para, para hockey. hockey sorry yeah uh, i like sledge hockey you 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 were a, you were a sledge hockey player not a para hockey player in my opinion because that's what it was called right so <laughs> when you play yeah. but anyways maybe that's what we'll call it because that's nowadays maybe i'll get in trouble if i don't say it the right way like don Cherry got fired well, for that one, hey, who one knows of the hardest right things, the first, then when they first change it and i'm doing the commentary i'm like six years into the commentary and all of a sudden the guys at tsn say hey rosie you got to call it para ice hockey now not sled hockey so it was uh, it was tough, but um, yeah, it's, you got to go by para ice hockey now. I don't know why I thought it was sledge hockey, not sled hockey. I'm so well, daft sometimes. No, you're you're not wrong, brother. You're not wrong because so it, the game was invented in Sweden, and it, a sled is actually called sledge. So the game was sledge hockey for years. We North Americanized the the name sledge to sled because it is a sled. But it is actually sledge hockey okay. because it was it was invented in Sweden. Okay. So you're right. You're not okay, wrong. Okay. Okay. So I want to get back to what I was asking you there. Like through all of this, um, were you using? Uh, oh God, yeah. So yeah, I was. The crazy thing was nobody. And in just in December, Paul Hunter from the Star did a, a really cool piece on me, and uh, it's similar to the piece that you had on the Hockey News done from Ken Cabell on you. Wicked piece, by the way. Um, and I was very honest with him and he interviewed Greg Westlake, who's the captain of the team now and was my roommate for seven years. And Wester had no clue. He had no clue. Cause I, I hid everything. I was an incredible, incredible uh, liar. I became like a world-class liar. So, uh, yeah, I, I was taken the morning of the gold medal game that I got a shutout. I took six perks that morning. 
Wow. Well, because you had to. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't have been able to play anyways because you probably would have been sick, right? Absolutely. Oh, the, the hardest thing is the, the withdrawals. Like, I tried a few times to cut myself down and do thing, different things, but, you know, the 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 withdrawal. And the crazy thing with, with the amount of narcotics I took over the years, I, I'm totally fascinated now that I cannot believe that I never got into heroin. Listening to your story and other uh, heroin addicts, um, it was the easiest thing for me to jump from from the pills, taking 30 to 50 oxys a day to heroin, and I never did. Yeah, well, you're lucky because, you know, that's what I did. So I was doing 12 to 15, 80 milligram oxys a day at, before I switched to heroin, and that's when they switched to the oxy-neos, so you wouldn't – they there was ways to do it like crush them and all that but back then i wasn't using intravenously either i was snorting them and that was my thing and um so i they were just became harder to find doctors started cracking down whatever and like i've shared this story before my pill dealer just was like here try some of this and it was like he had already asked me like 10 times before i'd seen him but i was like no way fuck off never but then this time i had no pills no i didn't see any pills in my near future and I man was I sick so it was like here give me that right now and then from there it was like I was able to find I was able to find heroin so much easier and then you know obviously once I made my way down to Hastings it was that is where you go to almost die in a sense yeah. um for people that don't know what Hastings is in Vancouver I've said it before google it it's pretty wild um but yeah so through all of it, did did your teammates know? Did your friends know? What about your family? What was everybody saying? No, you know what I. Uh, I know you just thoughts. answered. You just said you were a liar. But what about your family? Like, what about? Yeah. Nobody knew. Nobody. No, this is the crazy thing. You know, since I uh, I, I I did the the suicide attempt, and my daughters, who uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. One of my daughters just uh, called me yesterday. My youngest, who's 32, I hadn't talked to her in almost nine months, and. She, uh, we, we went to the band Headley quite a bit, and she, uh, she heard a Headley song yesterday and called me, reached out. So, hopefully, we're going to get back on track. Um, but no, I, I, uh, all my talks were about overcoming adversity and making the Olympics and this and that. I had nothing about drugs in my talks. I never said nothing about it until this last 17 months, where I've come out very strongly and told my story about everything I did because. I had the opportunity with my leg. I could go to any doctor and say, hey, man, listen, I'm missing my leg. I'm in agony. And I'd get liquid morphine. I'd get oxys. I'd get, I'd get anything I wanted. And nobody knew to the extent because they just knew I was missing my leg. So for there to be a bottle of, of oxys or something on the kitchen table or in the cabinet was not an issue. The issue was I had things hidden everywhere, buddy. I had them hidden in my in my hockey equipment. I had them hidden in the toilet. You lifted the toilet tank. I had it hidden there. Nobody had a clue because I played the game so perfectly. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you said there was a turning point. Um, but was that the first – so 17 months ago, is that the first time that you really were like, hey, I'm going to get my shit together? Uh you know, I, I tried many times in my mind, uh, Brady. I tried. I, I wanted to, but I never really, I never really had the courage to do it, um, to ask for help. And it, it really, the, the thing that m- made me was when I woke up and I was in the psychiatric ward, and the doctor sat down in front of me with my two daughters, 
and um, and he basically said, you're staying here, so you can stay here on your own will, and we'll get you all the help in the world, and you can visit your family. They can come and whatever. Uh, and I don't know if you've been on the psychiatric floor before. Absolutely. In, in hospital. Many it's of times. Not a lot of fun. Many of times. Yeah. It's not a lot of fun. So, you know, we, we know that that uh, that drill. A lot of people don't uh, out there know what it's like. And, and, and I guess that first night when I, I decided I needed help and I was laying in my room um, realizing that I was 59 years old, um, I was in the psychiatric ward at Toronto General, where's my life gone? Everybody thinks that I'm this incredible guy that I've accomplished so much, and and to me, I've accomplished nothing. Um, you know, I, I always tell people when I finished an event, people thought I was king shit. They thought I was, you know, the greatest guy since sliced bread, and I always thought I was a piece of shit. Almost my entire life, and and I've got some incredible people in my life right now that are teaching me that I am worthy. Brent Sopel's been a huge, huge uh, um, part of that. Um, you know, I, I, I met a girl in uh, – I divorced 14 years. I met a girl um, next week will be a year and at an opiate uh, uh, discussion group. I fell madly in love. She's my uh, my soulmate, and uh, um, I'm madly in love with her. She's 35 years younger than me, so a lot of people look weirdly at that. Um, but she's been a massive part of my recovery, brother. Yeah, and, and you know what? Age is just a number, and um – I, I know from people that go through addiction and get out the other side and are in recovery, um, they're almost a you almost age. It, it gives you wisdom beyond your years. So for her to be 25 years or whatever, 125 years younger than you, it doesn't really make a difference because she has similar experiences and similar visions and similar goals and interests and everything. So really, does it make a difference? And who gives a fuck? Excuse my language, but seriously, who cares what people think? I think people need to seriously stop worrying about other people, what other people are doing. Take a look in the mirror. And, and, you know, and worry about the things you can control on your own. And listen, I'm not sitting here preaching saying that I'm perfect at this because I am just as guilty as everybody else. But I'm at least aware of it and I want to work on it. Right. And I think that um, is for me anyways, is a, is a huge, huge step. Um, but I just, yeah, the way that the world is, like, people are just so, so quick to judge, are they not? Like, with social media and everything, I just think, with everything in this cancel culture and everything, Rosie, you gotta be so careful, don't you? Oh, it, it, it's unbelievable how things have changed, and, you know, we... We go out uh, at different spots, and you see people. You know, you, you, it's one of the hardest things is, is old women my age when they see the two of us together, either holding hands or you know, kiss or being romantic or whatever. And it's kind of like they look at us with disgust. Yet I, I can honestly tell you, Brady, that um, for the first time in my 60 years, I turned 60 in April. I am truly happy, and because I'm happy with my life i'm happy with myself i'm happy with I'm, I'm just happy to wake up in the morning and i hated waking up in the morning i i just every night when i went to bed for years and it it really hit hard when i retired uh, and hopefully we can talk about that you know when i retired after vancouver you know, we we went into vancouver ranked number one in the world the the men won the women won like i don't know if you remember when when sydney crosby scored that goal chris cutsford said the golden goal 
when he finished scoring that goal, he said, Sean Labonte, who was our captain, you and the sled team are next. The, the women won, the men won. Everybody's given, given us the title in Vancouver. But we had a bad game in the semifinal, and that was the end of it. So now I, I'm, the game's ended. Uh, I'm just turned 50 years old. I was supposed to walk away into the sunset, double gold medal winner. What a career. And now we lose. And two of my major sponsors walk away from me because I'm retired. And that's where, that's where I think almost every day for months after Vancouver ended, I had no purpose. I just, when I went to bed at night, when I had my shot of JD or whatever I had and took my pills and I had my liquid morphine, which I don't even think you can get anymore, I just prayed to God at night. And a lot of people don't know this. You know, I want to be so honest with you here. Um, every night when I went to bed, I prayed to not wake up Yeah. for months. Yeah. And then in the morning, I woke up and I was like, geez, why? Why can't you? And, and, and I always thought it was, you know, I was a coward because I wanted to kill myself. And then I tried, um, and I still don't know. The doctors still don't know how, you know, 35 boxes and a, uh, a gallon bottle of, uh, of uh, um, Windex, how you don't die. But I realize now, 17 months later, Brady, that um, I didn't die for a reason. That's right. It's to be on your show. It's to, it's to go on that journey now with you and help other people that don't think they can make it. And you said something yesterday that I absolutely love, brother. You know, you said that, well, people always say, uh, you know, if I can do it, you can do it. And that's kind of horseshit. I thought it was horseshit. I always thought it was horseshit, too. And you said it yesterday. But then you said what you've been through, and I'm bringing it back to you, what you've been through in your life and the amount of time you've spent in jail and what you've gone through. And look at you now. Look at you now. And it's a journey, man. You know, Soaps teaches me every day it's a journey. But look at where you're going. One step after the other, after the other, and helping, not just trying to help yourself, but help others, to me, that is the ultimate. That's why I know eventually when we get into the motivational speaking together, you're going to be unbelievable because you have that goal to help others. That's that's really nice of you to say, and, and I, I don't know if I'll be golden, but yeah, I do. That is really all I want to do is, is, is help others, and um, I want to just jump back quickly because you said about waking up in the mornings and everything and going to bed. I was the same way. I um, I would open my eyes and I'd be miserable because, you know, the first thing I have to do is do some sort of opiate. And by the end of it, I had to do fentanyl because nothing else would even come close to even cutting into the dope sickness because it's just so much more powerful and stronger. So that was the only thing I needed. And it's like, I, yeah, every time it was like I just wanted to die. Just wanted to die. Every time I was doing it, I just wanted to die. Just kill me, just kill me, just kill me. And I was doing so much, like enough to kill 10 other people, but it wouldn't kill me. And like... You know, of course, I overdosed multiple times, but, you know, was saved. And the one time, very lucky, very luckily, I was saved by my mom's landlord, who would just happen to go to work early that morning. And, you know, then there happened to be a cop down the road that was able to Narcan me. And, I mean, I was really lucky. But, you know, getting back to, you know, waking up in the morning. Like, I love waking up in the morning now. I'm like, as soon as I hear uh, Lincoln wake up and, and call, like, I'm up. Like, and I am actually was thinking about earlier, actually, today. It's funny you brought it up because I was thinking, I was like, I think I'm going to start waking up even earlier and getting more done in the day and going to bed earlier. Like, I want to get up and I want to do stuff. Like, I want to live. And this is the yeah. first time in fuck since I was a kid 
since I was a kid. Yeah. This is the first time since I was a kid. Probably since I was like 17 years old, I would say. It's a great feeling, you know. When I watch when I watch you on that ATV and those kids are in front of you, man. I, I and and we're just starting to get to know each other, brother. But I, I just get this chill that I see. Here's another guy that could be like such a, a leader, and um, I don't know. It's it's huge. It really is. Like a, you know, you're 32, 33. I'm 60. But age means nothing when you've been through what we've been through. That's right. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's it is. It's a journey, and uh, I'm certainly enjoying it. And there's no. I, like you said, I did. I mentioned it yesterday about when I heard people say, you know, if you if they, if I can do it, you can do it. God, did I think that was horseshit? I'm like, you don't know me. Like, beat it. Like, you do not know me. I if you can do it, does not mean I can. Like, you know. And listen, I'm. I want to tell everybody again. I'm serious. I felt that way. I was like, there's no way I'm doing anything. I'm in jail. I'm down and out. I'll never have any respect for my family, my friends, from the hockey community, from nothing. I said, there's nowhere I'm going. I said, the only way I'm, I can't even get a job because I have a criminal record. I said, the only place I'm going is for some low-level job. Uh, like th This is my mindset. The only thing I could do is some low-level job that will provide me with a life that will not give me happiness anyways i'll just stay addicted stay in jail stay everything i'll have no meaning no purpose and that was just my negativity and it was just continuous and i would just do one more thing and i shared a story on darren mccarty's podcast yesterday about my, when it changed for me and i'll get into that another time but i wanted to talk to you about like the shift from that when you retired like what what did you do after that? Like you said, you were fifty one when you retired. You got clean seventeen months ago. So for the past better part of eight years, seven years, it was a really rough go. It was a nightmare. I just did enough to survive. Um, I would map out as many talks as I needed to get what I needed to survive because there was times when doctors wouldn't give me anymore, so I had my, my guys that I would get my stuff from. So I just did enough to know that, okay, if I could do two talks this week uh, to make enough to pay my rent and get what I needed, then I could stay in bed. And pretty well, I, I very rarely came up to see my family. I didn't see my kids very often. I was a terrible father. Um, I'm a grandfather to two uh, two boys, a nine-year-old and a, and a four-year-old, and I have a granddaughter coming this Friday. She's going to be uh, born C-section this Friday, so I'll be a, a, a grandfather for my first granddaughter. Awesome. And it's an opportunity to really change. But for me, I just I – just, I, I did whatever I had to do to survive, and then I would stay in bed uh, – get my food, set it up. And I had a routine of, of a miserable existence. Sports is all I watched and being alone was all I, all I did. I had my blinds drawn and isolation. I, this is what I say to people now too, man. When you see somebody who's isolating and you think they're in trouble and they're isolating, they're in trouble. Okay. So do not allow them to isolate. One of the hardest things for me was my daughter, my uh, oldest daughter uh, came out and told me, um, you know, two days before I attempted to take my life, she FaceTimed me, and I don't even know how I was. I was brutal. I, I was a different person. And she said to her sister, hey, I think Daddy's having some trouble. We should go see him. And they said, no, he'll be all right or whatever. And then two days later, I'm, you know, in uh, in the psych ward. Um, but that's the thing I'm telling people now. 
if you make that call and you think, hey, man, Brady's not doing too good, or Paul's not doing too good, or John's not doing too good, or Carol's not doing too good, who gives a shit, then do it. Yeah. Go over there. Yeah. Knock on that door. Don't take, oh, tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow might be too late. Yeah, five minutes from now might be too late in some cases, right? Yes. Yeah. And a lot of people's instincts are a lot better than what they think. And even if you're wrong, you're going to show that person that you care anyways, and, and it's going to bring them up. So you are you have really nothing to lose. Um, and, you know, I actually um, spoke with um, a young man today who's been in the media quite a bit. And, uh, you know, actually, I'll, I'll say it. I spoke with Eric Guest Um it was yesterday, actually, and I spoke to him today. Who is the? He's the young kid that came out and was forced to do cocaine while playing in the OHL. And um, you know, he's uh, obviously had a rough go since then. He's been pretty open about it. And uh, I'm gonna have him on the podcast somewhere down the road. Um, but you know, that's the same thing. Like you know, you could see um, that people, you know, when they're going through things and you know them, especially if you know them, you can tell sort of that something's up. Like, yeah, you got to, you have to. I feel as a human, you have that responsibility to take that action. And and I love that you brought this up because, you know, for the Puck Support Foundation, the people uh, listening heard the, the mission statement and uh, we're going to provide a 1-800 number toll-free for uh, anyone to use. Um you know, uh, and we're going to, you know, at first, you know, maybe it won't be doctors and stuff on the other line, but I, I've done research and all these hotlines are not necessarily doctors and nurses on the other lines, people that care and people that have experience and want to help people through things. And then we can provide them with the proper resources and guide them in the proper direction, you know? So oh. it, it may be, yep. it, sorry, it may be just me answering the phone or Mike Hangan answering the phone or Carson Grant answering yep. the phone or even you say for periods yep. on end, but we will have that out there for people to reach out and, um, so even if people listening, if you think, um, somebody's having a rough go and you're not comfortable reaching out, get a hold of me. I'll, I'm pretty good at interve- intervening without being too, uh, you know, aggressive and, and on it about it and everything's confidential, um, with me. Um, I don't, you know, tell anybody anything. So, um, of course, unless I feel that it needs to be, you know, brought up. But um, yeah. again, go ahead, Rosie. I, I'm glad you said that, man. That is so important because, uh, you know, I, I want to be, uh, you know, we've, we've emailed or text back uh, the last couple of days, Messenger. I want to be involved in this so bad and do a video and uh, for you guys and, and get involved. In it. It's critical because at the very beginning, when I was going through this and I, you know, I, I had my counselors, this and that, I, I called 310 Cope uh, a bunch of times in the middle of the night. And uh, the person I talked to was not always a medical professional. And sometimes I'd rather not talk to a medical professional. You know, I'd rather talk to you who's been through it, who knows what I'm going through because you were there. You know what it's like. You know, I had some really good drug counselors over the years, and I had some really terrible ones that had no clue other than schoolwork. And, you know, schoolwork doesn't tell you what it's like to be. You know, we take that going to Vancouver uh, in the games in 2010 – we drive by to uh, to training camp, and we had training camp down Hastings every day. And I saw what you went through, um, you know, from the t- us looking out. So sometimes having somebody who's lived that life is way better than talking to a, a medical professional. And I'm not saying that 
there's some great ones out there, but I, uh, I want to get involved in this with you because uh, I, I think it's critical and, and having the opportunity to have somebody reach out is the most important thing out there. Yeah, no, and I know. And I tend to agree uh, with everything that you said there, um, but we would love to have you um, as a part of it. And the best thing about the Puck Support Foundation, and, and this is so new. So people listening, I think I first started talking about the idea a couple months back. Because the podcast is only three months old, we're thirty episodes in, um, and and that you know what that's unbelievable there. Yeah, I'm very lucky that I have a tremendous amount of support, and a lot of people took um, you know chances on me, starting with Kevin Peterson, Jesse Paradise, and then you know guys like Terry Roskowski and Doug McLean, and right from the very very beginning, all these guys they they hopped on with uh, without even knowing some of them without even knowing me, without even asking too many questions. Um, and my title of my podcast is pretty in your face. So I, I really appreciate that. And everybody listening, I, I certainly appreciate it. Um, but, you know, uh, I think I started talking about the puck support two months ago. And, you know, really just in the last maybe 21, 20 days, we've started putting things together and getting the wheels in motion. And it's been tremendous. But, it's, like, even just in the last two weeks say 10 days even um you know we got michael urbanic to treatment and uh you know we are keeping in touch with him and i talked to them multiple times a day i had darren mccarty call him i've had you know michael hengen's keeping in touch with them we've also brought jake newton in um you know and we continue to grow and so we have our group and we have a whatsapp chat and there's a bunch of us in there and so like you know we're keep checking in with each other every day we'd love to have you in there and like so that keeps us accountable every morning I'm like hey guys what's going on and while well, janet hollick's in there i'm always like hey guys and girl you know and like so you know and we're you know you know and I just send little motivational things throughout the day and whatever and that you know helps you know i know it's helping them it helps me and spencer feels like he's part of a team again michael feels like he's part of a team again i feel like i'm part of a team again and it's incredible and the thing is is there's no off season there's no tryouts there's no nothing this thing we just there's no limited spots this team just keeps growing and we just continue to help people it's beautiful yeah and that's that's so critical i want to be a part of it because when before this happened you know for the first uh from when i february when uh, february 19th or 20th uh, of 19 when I got out of uh, of the hospital, I was going to you know you know five six meetings AANA meetings uh, a week, uh, and then with COVID, boom, done. And I didn't get involved with the Zoom end of it. Um, you know, I'm still now, like I said yesterday, with 17 months. I'm still on a, on a drug called Zaboxone. I know. Uh, I think you talked about methadone, and uh, you know, I, I I'm on Zaboxone and. Uh, that's kind of been a lifesaver for the last little while, but I'd love to get off of that at some point. Um, you just you, you have to do whatever it takes to uh, to stay clean. And um, you know, I I, uh, I saw that last couple of days with people out there. There's hard days. Like you know, people might think because uh, they see me talk or have my show and think that every day is a is a beautiful day, but. Um, there's still tough days, man. When when I, I I think about it, I don't know about you, but I still have days where I think about uh, about the old life. Well, for sure, and I mean, I'm actually pretty lucky. So, 
I know that it can change from day to day, second to second, all of that. But I actually, for whatever reason, have zero thoughts of actually using. Um, and this is the first time that I've ever been in any sort of recovery. And I'm not even doing enough for my recovery. I need to do way more, way more. Because even though I might not be thinking about it, it's always there waiting, waiting for me to just let my guard down. And so I'm lucky because I'm just so focused on the podcast, on the foundation, and of course the kids and raising the family and having this new little baby and Taylor and everything. And we live in the middle of nowhere. So I don't even have time to think about that. And for me, drinking was never really a thing. So I don't drink and like I don't, I could be around it and like I hate alcohol. It makes me want to throw up when I think about it. So like I'm lucky and I, and listen, I use cannabis products and some people agree with it. Some people don't, but listen, yes, I'm on methadone and good for you for being on Suboxone. I've been on Suboxone and I actually believe in Suboxone. It's a great, great, great treatment uh um, drug uh, that you know or not even I don't want to say drug treatment it's like methadone but it's actually um, yeah. a lot safer than methadone um, and easier yeah. to get off and I've been on both and I wish I would have stayed on Suboxone but I got off and then relapsed and then um, I just got on back on methadone when I was in jail because it was actually easier to get on believe it or not while I was in jail um, but it's easier to get on Suboxone on the street than it is methadone for whatever reason but um, you know uh, I don't think for you, uh, thank you for sharing that for one, but I don't think, you know, yes, I want to get off methadone as much as you want to get off Suboxone, but I used to try, like I've been on it multiple times and like try to get off it and I've got, I'm on, uh, I'm on like 70 milligrams of methadone. So I've gotten down to like before where I was on like a hundred and I got down to like 14 and it took me like three months and then all of a sudden I relapsed. So like I, this was years ago, but I don't want to rush myself off. I know right now. What's what I'm doing yeah. is working for me. So I'm not in a rush to change anything like that. Like I'll stay on that. Yeah, I don't want to be on methadone. I know it's not good for me. It's not ideal. I wasn't even going to share that with people, but I, I made a deal from the beginning. I'm going to be brutally honest. I will share whatever's going on with me. If they don't like it, they have the uh, they have the option to hit stop anytime. So it's all good. I'm not going to get fired. Yeah. Uh, I run my own show and I just want <laughs> I believe that um, by me sharing is the most, you know, sometimes I think my dad will cringe and be like, Ooh, you shouldn't have said that or whatever. Like I remember one time I did a video, I was leaving the probation office cause I'm on probation. I was in jail. Like they're watching, they want to make sure I'm doing well and things are going really well. But I did a thing where, you know, after probation and I'm just showing that, you know, I'm doing well. And my dad's like, I don't think you should be showing that. And I'm like, well, whatever, too bad. Like, that's my life. I'm going to show people. Right. And guess what? I'm not going to be on probation forever. So when it's my last probation meeting, I can be like, guess what? Last probation meeting, and it's going to feel good. So I have my reasons for doing everything. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't think you should rush to get off Suboxone if it's working for you. But I mean, we're both clean off the drugs, but where are you at these days with your, your mental health? Um, you know what? It's, um, I, I'm like you, I'm not doing, um, everything I should. I, um, I talk to, uh, I talk to soaps, uh, uh, once in a while. I talk to them a lot more recently. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've lapsed, which is so easy, you know, for one day to say, I don't need to talk to him today. And then, oh my God, I haven't talked to him in a week. Um, oh, I know. So I, I, I have to, I have to get back into, uh, 
I have a real good counselor uh, at some point. Uh, it got wiped out because of this uh, um, COVID uh, situation. My uh, my addiction doctor, I would see every Wednesday, um, you know, at uh, my urine test, and you talk to him and get my Suboxone, and now we do it over the phone, which is not the same at all. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm yes, I, and you said this yesterday, which was so incredible. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 17 days, uh, 17 months clean and sober. I haven't had a drink. I haven't had a drug. I haven't done anything. But I'm not. To be really honest with you, I'm I'm not 100 percent where I should be. Well, I appreciate. And it's not just yeah. a, it's not just about not having the substance in you. Um, the substance in you is one part of it. It's having your mind um, clear, and my mind isn't always 100 percent clear. Yeah, and I appreciate the honesty, and I'm, like you said, I said it yesterday, but maybe everybody didn't hear it, and I am, yeah, I'm not chasing drugs, and that's not, I'm not obsessed on that, because that was my life, it was insane, I couldn't do anything else, except for be in that world, I couldn't leave it for five minutes, I I used drugs, I would do um, a shot of whatever it was, every like 10 minutes, when I had it, it's crazy, I was a savage, I just wanted to die, and um you know, oh, man, I just, I think about it, and it's like, man, who was that guy? Like, I don't even, I feel like a, a completely different person. I feel like that person doesn't even exist, but at the same time, I own it because I have to remember that that person did exist, and that person can exist again if I don't stay on top of it, and I don't want that to ever happen, and I truly, truly believe, Rosie, that it won't because um, I love who I am right now in this moment, and the things that I stand for, because this is truly who I am and who I've always been. But I was just, right. I was just, you know, and people that know me my whole life will tell tell you the same thing. My dad was quoted actually um, in the province newspaper, which is the biggest newspaper in Vancouver. Well, and the Sun. It was in both newspapers, um, and it was the very last thing, the very last sentence of the two-page front news article when I got sentenced to 21 months for robbery and uh, trafficking and everything else. And it said, Brady would be a great guy if he could just stay off the drugs. That was how they closed out the article. But it summed it up, and it's true. And it just, drugs take us to these deep and dark places that are unimaginable. And just, it can happen to anybody. Yeah, and I I think being honest is, uh, if you can do it, it's the best thing to do. Um, I knew when I said in that article about you know stealing my mom's morphine when she's dying of cancer it was going to hurt my father but i knew it was going to help a lot of other people so i did it yeah and well it's it's admirable it's not easy is it and i mean the thing is is that regardless of any of the things that we've done rosie and um I'm sure there's people out there that will never forgive me for some of the things that I've done and that's entirely up to them and I just have to be willing to make amends when the, when and if the time comes and if they don't that's you know that's up to them and I just have to accept it and that has been a, a difficult thing for me because I burnt some bridges into some people that really matter to me and even still they're not you know being receptive but who listen I only been clean 6 months um, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I've been in addiction for the last 12 years and been clean six months before. So I don't think anyone's getting too, too excited. However, this is the most excited I've ever been because I, for one, 
for once in my life, have found something that I actually absolutely love to do, and that's connecting, helping people through the podcast, through this foundation. I want to get out. We mentioned, or you mentioned, um, about the public speaking, motivational speaking. That is ultimately my goal. When did you start doing that? Oh, geez, I guess um, about six months after I lost my leg, I somebody asked me if I would go to the hospital and see their relative who lost their leg. And I just went down and it was just the two of us talking. He was a teenager. Um, I was almost 40 and we just talked and I felt like, you know, I think I could do this. And then I went into a couple schools and before you knew it, I've done over 1100 talks and you know, the smallest was like a one-on-one and the most was almost 5,000 people. Um, you just, the, the thing is, if you, your story is one thing, but if you can tell it in a way, and I know you can just by listening to you, by seeing you're around Lincoln on the, on the uh, ATV and just, uh, you know, I, you, you tell it in a way that you're just speaking, you're not bullshitting, you're not trying to, uh, to get this, you know, I'm a big time guy message across. You're just telling your story and you're telling it in a way that's real. And the best motivational speakers in the world, and I've seen some incredible ones and I've seen some brutal ones, but it's telling your story with a reality and uh, and an honesty. And if you can do that, then you're going to tell, you're going to, you're going to make a good living because you, you, you know, the one thing people say, you got to make a living. There's still, you know, uh, after I, started getting myself back on track and you know the the landlord wants his rent and people want their you know bills have to be paid so but the bottom line too with that is you can help somebody and with that you help yourself and that's how we stay clean and sober absolutely and that you know and i know these things i honest to god rosie i would just volunteer my time i would continue just doing what i do but i don't have i'm broke i'm i'm you i, don't, I only have 25 cents in my i don't even have 25 cents in my pocket i bear i have a wallet for the first time in 10 years and all i have is um uh, one photo id and my canada postcard and my birth certificate and that's it no money no nothing yeah, I got the, my me and Taylor have a little bit of money in the bank, a couple hundred dollars. That's it. But like, honestly, like I know I need to make a living and um, I've done, you know, every job you could think of. I always had a new idea. Oh, this is what's going to save me. This is, uh, you know, I'm going to do this and this is how I'm going to support myself. And it's none of it's ever worked out. Um, and the reason why is because I was never. I never cared enough about those things like going to work a demolition job or, um, you know, yeah, you got to pay the bills. But now uh, if I can find a way to pay the bills right now, the podcast is actually costing me money and everything. But that's fine because I'm building it up and, and one day hopefully it will. Maybe not the podcast, but the motivational speaking and ultimately um, whether I make a great living or a good living or not, as long as I can pay my bills, as long I just want to help people. That's I'm truly yeah. mean that. Like I truly, I'm not one of these guys that just says shit for saying it. Like I truly mean that. Like I believe I have to. I'm, like the only thing I can think about is the only reason I'm still alive is because I need to help people. And that, that you have to look at it that way because you know you're talking about the the, the um, uh, studio that you have and it's dedicated to Matt and um, you know you said it was I think it was this morning when I heard you say it because I love listening I listened to everything you put out um, and and you said why why am I here and Matt's not well you have an obligation now brother to help 
so the next mat doesn't happen. Um, and, you know, the one thing I, I want, my, my dad said this work because I do a lot of stuff for free and that, and, um, you know, there's a great feeling, but then my dad's made this comment for years and uh, he's my hero. He's, you know, 89 years old is the guy that I look up to more than anything. And, uh, you know, he said, I'm going to be the most popular guy on welfare once and uh, one day. And, uh, um, you know, I, I tell my friends that they laugh, you know, the most popular guy in welfare, you do so much and you, you don't get paid for anything. And you do have to pay the bills. But ultimately, at night when I go to bed, if I can go to bed knowing that I helped one person, as corny as that sounds, man, with what you've been through, I know that if somehow I pass away tonight in my sleep, these last 17 months, I've done good stuff. Absolutely. And that's all that matters. We just keep pressing forward and making the right one one right choice after the next. And, and when things don't work out, we don't let it all fall apart. And that, to me, is the thing that I have to remember because I – um, to share, share a quick story before we wrap it up because I got to get um, this is actually uh, Wednesday and you guys if you're listening on this Wednesday July the 1st it's coming out um, be sending this to the network as soon as we're done here and they're waiting for it um, but you know uh, man uh, it's just it's such a crazy journey it, it really is and before we go I, I honestly forget what I was saying, Rosie. This is my concussion. Oh my! The story. What was I talking about? See, this is my concussion brain, and this is crazy. That yeah. that like honestly, and, I lose my track of thought. That I have to like write stuff down as we're going. Yeah. Because and, and we gotta get we gotta get you involved with uh, with Kerry Goulet and our our thing that we do the Gooch Live featuring Paul Rosen. He started with Keith Primo. Stop concussions. I've had a numerous amount of concussions, and uh, and and it, it's not funny, man. Uh, you know, you say, hey, write it down, write it down. And and I can't remember where I wrote it down and put it. So we, yeah, it's um, it, it's a crazy, crazy uh, time when your when your head is screwed up. Well, and it's not getting any better right now. And that's the thing is like it's not. Sometimes I notice it can be getting worse, and some days are better. And like I know that the drugs have something to do with it, but at the same time, I know that I started feeling this way when I really got my bell rung a couple times and I'm like 18, 19 playing in the Western League and I just started feeling, the way that I described it back then was that like um, I just sort of, everything just sort of started feeling dull, like I remember waking up in the morning as a kid and it was like that bright, like oh I got that and it, like, it was just like, my head never came back to the that bright, like, energetic, I don't know, I just felt a little, yep. one step slower, almost, too, I never recovered, yep. there was a fraction, just a fraction of a second, um, and that makes a huge difference in hockey, and I noticed that, I really started to notice that after I got more concussions, and I don't know if anybody else listening can, can talk about that, but that is another thing, like, you know, there's, you know, concussions is a huge, huge topic, and there's, um, different views on it, but I think the NHL is doing a terrible job with it. They're not even really addressing it properly. But at the same time, Adam Scorgi, or Scorgi brought it up a good point. Um, most of the concussions are happening from clean body checks, not from fighting, not from anything else. It's from the high speed of the game and everything else. And it's, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but all I know is that um, we're gonna be here. I'm gonna be here, and this puck support is gonna be here with yourself included to help those people that yeah. will be struggling either during or after they're done playing hockey, whether that's um, uh, men's hockey, women's hockey, um, sledge hockey, or para ice hockey. 
um, uh, whatever the case is, whether it's roller hockey or we're just going to help the, the whole hockey community. And from there, uh, from there, I dream of, I dream of finding a way to help even more people outside of, but right now my focus is on, on the hockey community because that is what I know is hockey and addiction and, and mental health. And I'm going to share my journey and share it transparently because I think that's going to give the most value. And hopefully if I could just help one person, then that is everything has been worth it. So I'm going to, you know, get my mental health in check, do everything that I can. And it may be a process, um, but I just want everybody to know listening that I do not have it all figured out that when the, you know, the mic shuts off and the camera shuts off, I do um, still struggle and that, you know, I have people that I talk to and, you know, soaps is one of them, but I, again, haven't talked to him enough. It's always, Oh, I'm going to call you this day. And then something happens and I forget. And like, why, when I should be yeah. calling him, that should be my number one priority. Um, but you know, I got guys like Mike Hengen and Darren McCarty and now yourself. And so like I do do things, but I mean, I really feel I need to do things that are more addressing the issues let's figure out what the real issues are here and, and try to work around them instead of just masking them and putting you know a band-aid over them for now and then just putting them on the shelf till later no 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 let's just fucking take those off the shelf um beat them up a little bit and get rid of them you know what i mean yeah, hundred percent. And you know, we can throw in blind hockey and deaf That's hockey. Right. There's so many. There's so many different hockey's that we'll get involved with together on the disabled end of it. That are incredible. Hockey is an unbelievable game, and uh, I know this has got to go to press shortly. So uh, I'll I'll just end off on on my note. First of all, to have me on in Canada Day, where I had the the honor and privilege to play for almost ten years in three Paralympic games. Uh, and put that Canadian jersey on to have me on your show. Uh, I admire you. Um, I hope we are going to have an incredible friendship, and I will stand beside you to help you in any way you can. I think you're doing an incredible job. Thank you for having me on uh, on the podcast. It means the world to me. And for everybody out there who is struggling, man, it is possible. It is possible to get clean and stay clean if you just reach out and ask for help, we're there to help you. Well said, Rosie, and and I uh, I truly appreciate that. And I mean, you know, who else uh, better to have on Canada Day? You did a hell of a job representing our can or our country, and uh, we're all so proud of you. And you're a huge inspiration for me. Thank you for uh, you know coming on here and and just being brave and honest and that is i that is what is really going to help people and i look forward to building such a great friendship with you and spending time and um you know hopefully even traveling around together doing uh talks together one day it'd be fun right so um everybody uh you know happy canada day to everybody out there um paul rosen once again thanks my friend thank you have a great day you too buddy Well, guys, that is episode 30 of Hockey Dare and the Road to Recovery. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Please, guys, stay safe. Happy Canada Day. Um, thank you once again to Paul Rosen. What a guy. What a guy. Uh, I'm really looking forward to teaming up with him and the Puck Support Foundation and really, really helping the hockey community and the world. Um, this song here, Blackbird, is uh, one of Hadley Grace's favorites. 
Um, I have a recording of her singing it, and it is just the cutest thing in the entire world. And this song is very, very, very fitting um, if you listen to the lyrics. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, future guest guys, listen to this. Riley Cote, Josh Gratton, Shane Corson, Matthew Barnaby, Ryan Vandenbush, Tim Hunter, John Nasty Morasty, Ryan Phillips, Eric Guest, and Carson Grant and Michael Hengen, which hopefully we'll do in person in Edmonton with my roadcaster, which I'm using now, but it'll be my first in-person podcast since this whole thing started. I am going to leave you guys with a different version of the good old hockey game. And remember, guys, have a great day if you so choose. The world's eyes are here, we're drinking beer and showing off our game. We won the gold in Salt Lake the winter and we felt shame. Stevie Y looked far and wide to build a winning team. He picked the best above the rest to chase the nation's dream. It started well, we gave him hell, Norway couldn't score. Bobby Lou, he came through and Iggy mopped the floor. Switzerland gave us a run cause Hiller played so sharp. But Crosby scored the shootout goal and broke the Swiss's hearts. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. The stars came in from U.S. then and really rocked the boat. They scored first, we felt cursed like they had us by the throat. Stealing hearts ain't just for cards, and Canada was due. But Miller was hot with 45 shots, he only let three through. The boys were cross after the loss and really came to play. When Germany would break free, we'd take the puck away. She Weber shot, went through the net, and made the Germans pout. We put six more in to get the win and beat the sauerkraut. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Ovechkin said, all dressed in red, it is my lifelong dream. To come to you and make you lose at home at your own game. The crowd was loud and stood so proud as the final seconds passed. Ovechkin and his Russian friends can kindly kiss our ass. Friday night, we're getting tight and crowding the TV. Moral one, marble two, and gets laughed, made it three. You can bet we held our breath, those Slovaks played so bold. But Luongo stopped the final shot, we're headed for the goal. Third period, Canada's up two to one, playing for the big golden puck. With Miller out, the crowd is shout, the U.S. trail behind. Thirty seconds left, they put their best players on the ice. 
Don't look away, Zach Perry's ace Let the puck across the line A cry and shame, they tied the game To go to overtime Oh, take me where the hockey players Face off down the rink Grab your booze, win or lose You can bet we're gonna drink Again LaFell, but passed it well And said the kid took aim the puck is in, Canada wins the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. The good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. The good old hockey game is the best game you can name. We kicked your ass again at the good 